0: Looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 10 today. But before I begin, I just wanted to piece together a couple things from the lectionary reading for this week. You see, every Sunday we have lectionary readings that we read, and uh, usually we preach from them. And one of the things that happens is they're pretty uniform. And so today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, and there's kind of three tiers to today's sermon. One is that we're going to see what Jesus experienced and then what Paul experiences is the same thing that Jesus experienced. And even some of us, what we might experience in our own life, that is the same as Paul's and the same as Christ's. In Mark chapter 6, as we've read the gospel reading, we see that Jesus is criticized and rejected in his hometown. Let me read the first four verses again just to reiterate to you the, what, that this happens to Jesus. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Then then when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many listeners were astonished at first, saying, Where did this man get these things, and what is this wisdom given to him, and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him." Jesus begins his ministry teaching truth in the synagogue on the Sabbath, which begins in astonishment and ends in criticism. What Jesus proclaimed among the people didn't rest in their hearts. Instead, his previous occupation, his common family association, and where he was from, can anything good from Nazareth come from there, happens and takes form and diminishes what he was teaching in the synagogue. Because of his humble descent to walk among us, Jesus didn't come as one with high pedigree or with already established greatness, but he came in the form of a bondservant, born in a stable and lowly position to shame the highly esteemed and to demonstrate that if you want to increase, it begins with decreasing. Jesus tells his disciples right after this account that he, and he sends them out that if they do not listen or receive what they speak, if the, if the towns and the places they go, that they walk to preaching the gospel, if they do not receive it, shake the dust off their sandals. And this is Mark verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 11. This is an act of shaking the, the sand out of your sandals, the dirt from your sandals. This is an act of judgment. This is saying that this soil that I've been walking on is still unholy, and we should not carry this unholy soil into holy soil. An act of not damnation, but of judgment, that the gospel has been rejected and should be considered, and should not be considered the same soil as those who have received the gospel. It is to say, the soil remains unsowed repentance is still needed. They will not be accepted until they receive the gospel and repent. But what about those who have received the gospel, who have repented and should know better? What about the sheep of the shepherd who have been easily led astray? Here is where we find Paul and how he handles his criticism and rejection from the church at Corinth. It's very telling of a good and patient God enduring our ignorance to work in us our sanctification look with me and turn to second Corinthians chapter twelve. Paul has been placed in a position to defend his apostleship to the church at Corinth. The Church of Corinth has been lured by false prophets and false apostles in verse eleven or verse thirteen of chapter eleven it says this: "For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disgusting." disguising themselves as, as apostles of Christ. And Paul, who is about to boast in, their, in his visions and revelations, and uh, is, is making a comparison and having to defend himself against these false apostles. They are, according to the Church at Corinth, they are better communicators, which often draws a crowd and impresses the masses, kind of like a Tony Roberts type of appeal. They also do not stir up drama or have the stain of being oppositional to the leaders or the influencers of the day. They have money, these false prophets or apostles do, which often uh, means that they're not trying to take advantage or even scheming to make more money. But Paul, on the other hand, according to the Corinthians, is something completely different than these guys. Paul, in verses uh, 24 through 27 in chapter 11 He has quite a, a lot of drama. Let me read that for you, what Paul himself admits. Five times I've received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers and rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers in the city and dangers in the wilderness and dangers on the sea and dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. By his own admission, he is not a skillful speaker. Paul isn't. In verse 6 of 11, he says this, But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. Paul is not wealthy, but that is of no burden to them. Verses 7 and 9 in chapter 11, he says this, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. And and Paul isn't boasting in himself, but as we will soon see, he boasts in Christ. So just to recap, what we have is the church at Corinth finds themselves falling for somebody else who has it all together. They're better at publicly speaking, more skillful in the language. They're wealthy. They're high esteemed in the community. They have not endured what are the shameful acts of somebody being beaten and shipwrecked and all the hardships that Paul endured. And so here, Paul is defending himself. Yes, I am not like these men. And though I am not wealthy, I'm not trying to rob you, I'm not trying to sell you something, for other brothers have actually supplied my need. And I don't boast in myself or in what I'm claiming as my own visions and revelations like these men do. I boast in Christ. Boasting in yourself is foolishness, he would go on to say. And so here we are, Learning what Paul does in defending himself. This is not any different than what Jesus encountered in his hometown. How they dismiss Jesus is how they come to question Paul. Jesus coming from Nazareth cannot be a prophet. Paul having so much drama and no skill cannot be an apostle. These are the prestigious who these are these who are prestigious, now they are believable. And it seems like even in our own culture, we would like to align ourselves with people that seem to be more put together, people that seem to have made all the right decisions and navigated their life well. Those are the people we can speak into. We look at the champions of our culture and our world, and we attain them as the ones that we ought to mimic and model our life after. So how is it that Paul defends himself? How does he reg- regain acceptance from a people that have questioned his apostleship? Is there anything we can learn from God's word about how to defend oneself from a crowds of scrutiny? How to appeal to those who love? How to appeal to those who love you when their hearts are turned against you? How to validate your calling in Christ when others challenge it? How to overcome the feelings of insecurity that come from having your own people turn against you? How does Paul find assurance in his calling, in his ministry, and in his relationships with those he loves? It is these things that we now look, and I must warn you. I believe in preaching as to convince people of truth. I also believe in not holding anyone to a standard I'm not willing to hold myself to. Therefore, this morning, you're going to have to suffer me as I preach to myself this morning. I did not know if anybody in this uh, sanctuary this morning needs to hear this word, but it is a word for me. This word must be preached to me, and I must cling to it. It is somewhat embarrassing, but nonetheless, I must preach it to myself this morning. You can ask my wife that I believe that we should be preachers in our home. If the word of God is the power to salvation and as the word of god that helps our sanctification then it is in anything that we encounter in our households in our life we must be preaching the gospel and god's word in the midst of tragedy or fights or arguments god's word is the thing that can bring us back to the rails and this is something that i do even for myself when i'm very passionate as my wife could tell you when i'm preaching in my house against things that i believe to be wrong and we need to realign ourselves I here this morning have to preach to myself because as I've been struggling, you can already tell that I'm a little out of sorts this morning going through my notes. It's because I really believe that this is my word. And I'm not up here to perform, but I'm up here to say, Lord, this is a word that you have given me, and so I will receive it. And so I am going to be preaching myself. I'm going to be preaching to myself, not preaching myself. So there are three things that I see in Paul's life and what Paul communicates here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 there's three things that I think that he creates as his defense. These three things are this: the confidence you receive from Jesus, no pain, no gain, and by those marked by grace. This is how he defends his ministry, this is how he gains confidence when he's being criticized. And so now we will look at these things. First, about visions and revelations. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 4. Look at it with me. Paul says, Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up into the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. Here, what Paul is talking about is as these false apostles claim that they've had these amazing visions and revelations. So has Paul. But as we see here, he goes, boasting in them is not profitable. And a matter of fact, it's not for us to gain advantage from others. You see, here's a word from Paul that I, that I really believe has spoken into me that the things that I've experienced in my life, my personal encounters with Christ, my walk with Christ is meant for me and not as necessarily a means to conjure people towards myself or to Christ. But Christ gives me confidence to say, you remember when I was with you in the prison. Do you remember all the ways I've provided for you in your life? That's meant for you. There's a scene in The Matrix. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but I I like that. Uh, Morpheus takes Neo, the chosen one, in to see the oracle. And Neo speaks to the oracle, and they have a conversation. Neo comes out, and Morpheus says, whatever was spoken was meant for you and you alone. See, sometimes I feel like if I can just share with you all the, the details what Christ has done. And that's our testimony. There's places for that. But that's ultimately for my confidence in Christ. And that's your confidence in Christ. Because when the world tells you things and lies to you and says something about you, that ultimately has not been made true because you've been walking with Christ. When people are rejecting you and criticizing you because, oh, I know where you came from, Jesus. You came from Nazareth. How, How can anything good come from there? When you are saying that, and, but when people are saying that about you, but then you come to come to know Christ and have truly experienced him, that's where your confidence comes from. Confidence does not come from those who are watching you. Confidence does not breed from those thoughts that come from everybody in the audience or those in the crowd. Your confidence comes from Christ, who will meet you in the dark places, who will extend his hand when you're in a pit and lift you out. Your personal encounters, those revelations of Jesus in your life are namely first and foremost for you. For isn't that what draws us to him? Is that when everything else was turned against us, when everyone else was turned against us, he was for us and he came to us and he saved us and you remember your first love. You remember those moments when Jesus came, when he sustained you, right? You remember when everything, even in your marriage, and everything goes away, and everything becomes difficult, and everything becomes an argument. You remember why you even got into it in the first place, because of that love, because of the connection. Sometimes we have to be reminded of that. And that's where we find our confidence. So first and foremost, Paul doesn't boast in these amazing visions and revelations that he specifically got from the Lord. He's mentioning, 14 years ago, I received visions and revelations from Jesus himself. And it's things I cannot speak of. But that's what gives me confidence. Confidence from Jesus to build this up. The second is no pain, then there's no gain. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implore the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. No pain, no gain. I remember growing up, working out for the first time, it was really painful, and you kept on hearing that at the gym. No pain, no gain. And here, Paul is saying, there is pain when you gain. God may remove, may not remove annoying or difficult people or situations in your life because he wants you to show you and others that he is all you need to overcome. You have heard it said to be careful to pray for patience because God may just make everyone on the road you are driving on test your patience. Right? A lot of times we pray, Lord, I want to be more patient. Lord, I want to be less angry. But we find ourselves constantly exposed to those situations that require patience and less anger. And what that is, is a thorn in the flesh to show that you must decrease and God must increase. This is what Paul's saying. I've received phenomenal visions and revelations that I'm not boasting at, Instead, I'm going to boast in this thorn in the flesh. And who did it come from? Who does Paul attribute this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, Satan, to torment me? Right? What does he say in verse 7? There was given me a thorn in a flesh to prevent me from exalting myself. Isn't this what we do with our children? Oftentimes, they want the good stuff, the reward, the fun, and as parents, we make them work to show them the results come by the work done in or through you. Meaning, my dad, who said, hey, if you, if you want that watch, because I was obsessed with watches when I was little, or you want that, you want this, you can have it, you just have to buy it. All right, where's, where's the money? Well, you have to work. Get your money. And then you can buy whatever you want. And that is the process. There has to be work. There has to be hard times. There has to be engagement to get the reward. And that's the, that's the no-pain, no-gain mentality. In order for us to really say, like, hey, this is what's happening. This is what is encouraging us. This is what your reward is. You have to go through a very difficult thing, a... a um, a place where you can work towards getting those things. And I'm not preaching here a works-based salvation. What I'm saying is, is that a lot of times, in order to come out to where you want to be, you have to go through a crucible. Because there's things, there's impurities that you need to burn off in your life in order to become pure. And it hurts, and it's hard. No pain, though, no gain. There's some element of truth to that. And this is Paul's point. I'm not boasting in the good stuff that you guys would love to hear to tickle your ears. I'll show you a different way that I'll boast. I'll boast in Christ. And this brings us to the third point. He goes, it's it's not those who are prestigious. It's not those who come from good pedigree. But it's those who are marked by grace to have an apostleship, who have a ministry, and who live with Christ. Look at me at verse 9 and 10. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is saying here that as these men rightly can boast about their own strengths and in and of themselves appear to be good, it is actually in the weakness that I boast. And that's how you know my ministry and apostleship is true. Because there's actually nothing I've been able to do. There's nothing that I can show you and demonstrate to you that this is Paul's. There's nothing I can demonstrate to you to say, like, this is Bruce's. By all intents and purposes, Paul can say, like, I've, <laughs> everything I do leads to more lashings, leads to shipwrecks, leads to hunger. Everything I do is all about that. So I have nothing to offer you but the grace of Christ working through me. See, Christ continues to give me a thorn in the side and puts me out of the way so that he can shine more. And here I find it very interesting that we see actually another side of grace. Acts of grace can come through difficulty and hardships. And many people would often say like, well, that's not grace because it's not kind. How can being shipwrecked be grace? Grace. How can being rejected be grace? How can a thorn in the flesh be grace at all? Well, obviously it is, because Paul says it, that Christ himself says, my grace, which was this thorn in your flesh, is sufficient enough for you to justify your ministry, to have confidence in me. But our understanding of grace is always very light and fluffy. Skittles, bubblegum, rainbows. But this other side of grace is different. This other side of grace is this. And grace is just getting what you don't deserve, is it not? Here, Paul is being rejected by those he loves, and he doesn't deserve it. But Jesus calls it grace and even says it's sufficient enough for him. This is the less mentioned side of grace. Unmerited favor. Paul didn't earn this favor. If you're like me, you're already saying like, how is being rejected and being weak favor in this? In order to become an instrument of the very power of God to change the world? What better favor is there? To be the very one by which you can speak the gospel And lives can be changed and others be shepherded to Jesus himself. What greater favor and honor is there? And they rejected him. They criticized him. And Jesus says, in your weakness is when my power is most strong. That is, when you've done nothing and you've been brought low, that's when my power is at its fullest. That's grace. That's favor. I want to use you in great ways to advance my kingdom. And it begins by the same way that I've demonstrated, Jesus says. It begins by being low. Oftentimes, we are in the way. We need to decrease so that Christ can increase. We need to lose our life so that we can gain it. We need to take up our cross to follow Jesus. Those who die to self will live to Christ. The great upside down. Death for life. Weak to be strong. Last to be first. Humble yourself and you will be exalted. This is the way of Christ. And it is the way of those called into ministry and the Christian life. Let that be your paradigm. And this is, to my point, the only point that Paul uses really is not boasting in himself. Revelations and special encounters with Jesus I could sp- he could speak about, but he won't boast in those things for that's foolish. But what I will boast about is this thorn in my flesh which the church at Corinth was able to observe and the struggles that I present to you and that you well know and discredit to me is actually the very thing that makes me an apostle because an apostle a disciple of Christ is one who follows after Christ and does the things that Christ has done did he not humble himself take the form of a bond servant and then did he not descend into hell and then was resurrected and ascended into heaven and now sits at God's mighty right hand? Did he not humble himself and now is exalted? Did he not bear the cross? Did he not die in order to be raised to life? It's the great reversal. It's the great upside down. God does not operate the way the fallen world does. He operates the real way, the real truth, the real life, and he demonstrated that for us. And so anybody who wants to have uh, confidence, anybody who wants to have assurance that they are living in Christ and doing the ministry, then they must mimic the very ministry of Jesus himself. And when you're doing that, that's what makes Paul an apostle. The lashes that he got were the same ones that Jesus got. The rejection and criticism that Jesus faced is also what Paul is facing. He goes, and that's why I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's why you must cling to the gospel that I've presented to you. The world will cling to those who are wealthy and prestigious and well-known. But Christians, we cling to those who are brought low because it's in true humility and lowness that we are exalted. I stand before you today being a testimony of the power of Christ. I can give you a list of reasons why I should not be proclaiming the gospel. By all intents and purposes, the world tells me I should not be proclaiming the gospel, but yet I am sitting here trying to get you guys closer to Christ through the preaching of his word than ever before. I do not have great references. I do not have a great standard of living that I've made. I do not have great... Good decisions that I can point to and say, like, look, this is me. I have it all together. I've swam every lane along the way and have been successful. I haven't. I've failed. I've been made low. I've been stupid. I've been pathetic. I have been wrong. And I've been all these things. And yet I stand not proclaiming myself, but proclaiming Christ. And let me tell you, and this is where it comes preaching to myself. Ah, don't cry. The insecurity of a life of ruin is horrific and ever-present in your life. When you've ruined relationships, when you've made poor decisions, you have an enemy that knows that and tells you you are and cannot do these things. You have no claim, keep silent. Don't draw attention to yourself because when you do, people will know. And I had to wrestle with this. For 10 years, I believed these things about myself. For 10 years, I strived to listen to truth, but the lies sounded greater. I didn't want attention. I didn't want to have to tell people the things I had done wrong. I didn't want to be exposed I didn't want the shame just to be ever before me. But Christ says, it's not about you. It's about me. And now that we got you out of the way, let me wield my power through an empty, lowly life, a life that would make no sense to the world, but makes every sense to me because I've saved it and I redeemed it. If you want to know your value and worth, you find it in me. Yes, Lord. There are people that do not believe that I should proclaim the gospel, or preach it. And they sometimes, on days, will ruin me. But I, like Paul, don't want to boast about what I'm capable of. I want to boast about what I'm incapable of, because when you see me doing anything capable It's not me. It's the power of Christ. In my weakness, he is made strong. I must decrease and he must increase. To me, this is the essence of the gospel. This is why I believe in redemption. Is the power of salvation so good that it can take what is ruined and dead Completely ruined and dead, and can it make it something glorious? Can beauty come from ashes? I believe so. My life is a testimony of that. I wish I could go back and all rewrite it. How would I rewrite it? I would make better decisions. I would do this differently, I'd do that differently, but then maybe I would not be where I needed an end to myself in order that Christ can pick me up and make me what he wants me to be. I can go back and rewrite my story so that Bruce can have a better life, or I can just say, I already have a better life, and it's being rewritten right now through the power and saving blood of Jesus Christ. And this is why I say, If it's good enough for King Jesus, it's good enough for me. That's a phrase I've said over and over again. When I can't explain why I've been given grace and favor in my life from God the Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, when people have criticized or ridiculed and said, no, no, this, 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 that, I've clinged to my confidence in Christ and I said, if it's good enough for King Jesus, it should be good enough for you. I have to say this to myself. If it's good enough to King Jesus, Bruce, it's good enough for you. I hope my ministry is always as humbling as you guys have experienced over the last year. I've been here for a year this week. And I told myself that when I come into ministry, I would have to battle against these lies that I've often believed, and I have to stop believing them, that Christ will use me, and that I'm all His, and I have to pursue after him, and then he will make it right, and he has worked in me. And I just want to be honest and vulnerable with you from when I am vulnerable and emptied and lay bare and exposed before you. I hope that you can only see the redemption and the glory of Christ, that He is highly exalted, that He could take a life like mine and transform it. And that's the gospel less of yourself and more of Jesus. This is how Paul, how anyone can defend their relationship in Christ, the gospel, and the ministry that they will go on to do when they've been walking with Jesus. For we're all called to ministry, those who have called Jesus king, to advance his kingdom, to go to those who are hurting this morning, wrapped in insecurity, prone to listen to the lies. That Satan would love to keep down and out, where guilt and shame are destroying them. And they've sought all other avenues, but those, th- those things do not bring them redemption. For those, we have to go, and we have to spread the gospel and tell them of the good news that you are forgiven and your life does not have to be this way. Christ can transform it and you could go on to greater things but you have to get out of the way. You have to decrease and when you do, God will increase more in your life. The message is simple for me. I have to repent of believing the lies I have to repent of my own insecurity. And I have to believe in the confidence that Christ's actions in my life have done. I have to testify to them. Maybe that's where you are. I don't know. Maybe you're struggling. Or maybe it's just me and I'm okay with that. We have to repent. Of all these things and embrace what Jesus offers us as a free gift repent and believe that's what the gospel says over and over again maybe you've rejected maybe you've been criticizing Jesus and maybe you've received that judgment where well, I'm shaking the sand and the dirt off my feet but that does not mean that you're all completely done in you're just still in need of the gospel so I deliver that firsthand to you, what I have received, that Jesus is the King of all. He's the Lord that saves. He's the Lord that loves. He is waiting, and he wants you, and he wants to bring an end to you. He wants to put a thorn in your side in order to prevent you from falling over yourself into hell. He says, I've rescued you. Come with me. Follow after me. You decrease and I'll increase. Maybe we need to repent of anything that would diminish the power of Christ in our life. For if through weakness comes the very power of God, then we have to pursue and believe that us being made weak will bring forth a power that will bless others. We're going to take uh, communion this morning, and I, I, I love this. I, I've got to to lead this and be a part of this during Marshall's sabbatical. But I love this moment, this table. I love the fact of what it represents. And every time that we remember our baptism, every time we take these elements, I like to slow down and to think of all that Christ has truly done for us and what he's truly done for me. And so for those who are in need of repentance and to believe in Christ, in a moment I will invite you to this table and we will confess our sins and then we will hear a pardon. Confession and pardon. Confession to say, we have been made weak. We have not done what we ought to have done. But because you have forgiven me and have given me your spirit, I can now go on to do way more than I could have ever done on my own. Your kingdom will be advanced through my life. And that's what this table this morning represents but if you can just suffer me a little bit longer, I'm going to pray, and then we'll come to the table. Father, I thank you for this word that is for me specifically this week. I've shaken my fist. I've been angry. I've been self-justifying. I've been seeking to lift myself up to other people In my mind. And you gave me this word. And I have to stand before these people and preach it to myself. All week you've been dealing with me. And I thank you. Father, I do do not do this for show. I do not do this. I just do this because I believe that here right now in your house is where your word needs to be preached. And it is effectual for me. This morning. I am in desperate need of you. I have sinned. I have not honored you as my king as I ought to. And I pray that you will forgive me. Restore unto me a clean heart. Renew that steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away. Father, I pray for everyone here that they would embrace a life of lowliness, of weakness in their own lives so that you could increase and exalt them through your power. May we be a church that takes this message to those who are in desperate need of it. For you have come for the sick, not the healthy. You have come for the poor, not the rich. Father, be with us now as we enter this time to remember all that you have done for us through your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.